0: We'll be looking this morning at uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 5, is our main text. And um, I want us to read that first, and then I'd like for us to pray together. So if you want to follow along, it's Revelation 2, 1 through 5. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Would you pray with me? Let your word... Speak to us this morning, Father. May your word not be confused or lost in the conversation, the delivery of a man. But truly through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we hear from you and you alone. Lord, your word is precious to us. As we treasure it in our hearts, may it be the very thing that shapes our lives into the likeness of Christ for each of us individually and also for all of us as your church. For we pray it in the name of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matt asked me some time ago if I would be willing to fill in for him uh, this weekend, and um, I agreed to do so. And at the same time, I was invited to speak at um, the homecoming of the Shiloh Advent Christian Church uh, back in August. And so uh, I've had some time to work on the sermon. Actually, you're not getting one that's warmed over. You're, you're getting one that's been worked over. <laughs> Um, when I was at Shiloh, like I said, it was her homecoming, I began to think a little bit about homecomings. Matter of fact, uh, Jan and I are going to be celebrating some homecomings coming up real soon. In October, we're going to go up to Clarksville, Indiana, where 50 years ago, Jan graduated from high school. That tells you how old she is, doesn't it? And then the week following, we're going to go up to Aurora, Illinois, where I'm going to go to my 50th class reunion for college. (laughs) That tells you how old I am, doesn't it? But when you think about homecomings, it has a lot to do with not just gathering again with people that we remember as friends, people who have been very much a part of our lives, maybe through the years even after school, uh, particularly those who invested in themselves in our lives, uh, our teachers, uh, the faculty, the, the staff, those people who, who really wanted to make an investment in the life of their students to the point that possibly some of us could make some kind of impression, a positive impression upon this world in which we live. I'm indebted to to those men and women, and, I, and I'm sure if you can recall some of those special people in your life, you feel the same way. But when you think of a church homecoming, you think about not only those people, your Sunday school teacher, your youth pastor, your your senior pastor, people like Matt, who have invested in your lives and, and, and have given themselves to you. You think about the people who are part of your family. This is a family. This is a precious family. And whether you like it or not, I'm your brother. And I like the fact that you're my brother and my sister. I, I really say that with all, all sincerity. I, I, I love this church, and I love each of you. As, as, as best as I've been given the opportunity to express that love or to, 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 to knit that relationship, it's very, very precious to us and to me personally. Um, so we reflect on those things that have, I guess, represented our sharing life together. Our discovery of Christ in our life together. Us dealing with the good things that happen in our life together. And dealing with those things that are not so good in our life together. That's what this is all about. Us coming together under the, um, under the umbrella of the church, which is headed by Jesus Christ together in the name of our Lord and Savior that's precious. It doesn't well it will get better than that someday. But where we are right now, it doesn't get any better than just being in in the fellowship with other believers in Jesus and worshiping together and serving together. I as I've mentioned had been working on this sermon for some time. The thing that kind of drew me to the passage of scripture that we'd read earlier You say, why in the world would you pick a letter like this, uh, a a passage like this, that in some ways speaks well of the church and then in some ways it doesn't speak so well of the church? Well, I call it the Dear John letter. John wrote Revelation. That's why I call it the Dear John letter. But also in the Dear John letter, John is quoting Jesus. John is saying to the church with the very words of Christ of how he recognizes how good they are and how, how faithful they've been and, and how wonderful uh, they have proven themselves as a church and then, then comes the stinger the dear John part but but you have forgotten your, your first love uh, that's painful and there, there is the possibility, if, if they don't recognize that and don't do something about that, that it truly could be a separation of a relationship between the one who was in the church and the one who will leave the church because of the absence of the love for the one who was the head of the church. This, this letter was written to Ephesus. Uh, Paul loved Ephesus, the church in, the, in, in Ephesus. The Ephesians. He loved them. He loved them deeply. Uh, l- let me let me share this with you. If, uh... He pointed out how, much, how dear they were to him. But first, let me back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Paul loved the church, not just Ephesus, but he loved the churches of which he was very much a part. And he, and he greets those, those churches in his letters. Uh, let me refer first to um, Philippians 1, 3 through 8. And this is one of many greetings that Paul uh, uh, embeds in his letters to the churches. Paul writes to the churches in Philippi. Both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. He loves you all, is what he's saying. Paul is from southern Tarsus, I'm sure. Because three times he says, you all... And he could be saying that to a number of churches. As a matter of fact, he says it also to the first, ch- the church in Thessalonica, First uh, Thessalonians one, two, and three. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I mentioned earlier as this text that we read from Revelation is is dealing with Ephesus. And this is what he says about the church in Ephesus. in, in, uh, In Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul loved the church in Ephesus. Matter of fact, it was in Ephesus where he spent most of his time, more than any other church. For three years, he was there. It's also a strong, strong church—a church that that um, had a had a pretty good. Uh, Uh, staffing, if you will, of the people who, who were involved in the ministry. Timothy was in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla were in Ephesus. Apollos was in Ephesus. And John himself was in Ephesus, only to mention a few. I mean, these are some big names in the life of the church. And somehow, they all were attached to the church in Ephesus. We get a sense of Paul's love for these people as he has the opportunity to reunite himself with them, even after he has had to leave the church, and and finds himself in some hot water with the the Pharisees, as they are wanting to, to do him in. And it ends up that he eventually finds himself having to board a ship to go to Rome, to face his imprisonment. But on that journey from Jerusalem to Rome, he has this encounter with the people of Ephesus. From Miletus, we read in Acts twenty twenty one 21, this occasion. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And this is what he says to them when they come together. These are the people that were very much a part of his life and his maturing, helping them through the maturing process of becoming the church. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into your providence of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although as I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from, I love this, house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he says to these people from Ephesus, the elders, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then it comes to the point where he has to say goodbye. It's a sad, sad thing. It says, And there was much weeping on their part. They embraced Paul, and they kissed him, bearing sorrowful, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken and knowing that they would not see him again, and they accompanied him to the ship. You talk about a love between the people in the body of Christ... This man is departing. And, 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 and when you read about Paul, you get kind of this feeling, just by some of the things he's had to say to the churches, that he's pretty thick-skinned and, and sometimes just downright brutal when he has to deal with the honest problems that were in the church. He, he was straightforward, and you wonder if, if the guy has any feelings at all. And then you read something like this, and you realize it's not only Paul that has feelings, it's the people in the church that have a, a deep devotion and love for Paul the apostle. Weeping. On his departure this this journey from Jerusalem to Rome is just is just um Accented, or or seasoned, or 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 punctuated with these encounters that Paul had with the people that were a part of his ministry. There's one occasion where, again, as he's laid over for a period of time, he he calls for those that are believers to come and meet with him. They're going to be there for a few days, and so he gathers them around, and they're sharing together. Women and children. And so if you think Paul's got a bad deal with women, just look at that particular passage of how the women and children and the men of the church once more embraced him and accompanied him to the ship. There is a great, great relationship between this this apostle, this servant of Christ, and the people he served and for the cause he served. That's not, that's not to be just unique to the early church. That, not, that's not to be just unique to the churches that Paul pastored or served as a missionary. That is supposed to be a characteristic of the church today. That we have such a love for one another that we really do embrace one another. We embrace one another with a, with a love that we have for each other. We embrace one another with an accountability that we have toward one another. We are responsible for one another. And the work that we do, we can't do it alone. We have to do it together as we are empowered by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. I I just love to read these letters that Paul expresses to the churches because I believe that these should be the very experiences that we have in the church today. You know, Paul says, I constantly pray for you. I remember you in my prayers. I can't stop praying for you. I think that's a charge to you and me. I think we are responsible to be diligent in praying for one another. Not just when our name appears on the prayer list. Not just when we gather and find out that somebody's in the hospital or someone's sick. We need to be praying for each other constantly as we just simply go through life together. Because sometimes we don't even know what's happening in in each other's lives but we need to be supportive as best we can. How precious is this relationship that we have as members of the household of faith? We cannot and we must not discount or take for granted what has been ours as we received it as those who have been adopted into the family of God. But there is evidence that we forget <laughs> there is evidence that somehow we let go of this precious relationship as we stumble through the week not thinking about anybody else but ourselves and the only time that maybe the need comes to mind is when we encounter that person that we're supposedly be praying for we see him Sunday morning and it's oh yeah uh, i uh, i don't say this for any other reason than just to, i guess to demonstrate a love That I have for so many of you. But I can't tell you how many of your names are in my prayer journal. Because I love you. And I pray for you. And I'm not the example. I just I just want to let you know that's how precious this relationship is that we have in Christ. That we can love one another through prayer. That we can hold one another up in prayer. That we embrace one another through prayer. And there's some in the church I don't pray for because (laughs) I just don't remember. I'm getting old, you know. But I want us to take it seriously of how precious this relationship is. That when we call one another a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, then we are accountable to them as a family member. We need to be caring for one another, and that's to be shaped and formed in so many ways. Paul says, Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, <laughs> making my prayer with joy. This 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 came to mind for for Mark and myself and Jeff and Tom. We meet with Pastor Matt on every Tuesday noon, and and he shares with us not only what's what's some of the challenges in your lives in terms of illness or or job situations or relationships or whatever it may be. He shares with us some of the victories that are taking place in the life of this church. And when he tells us of someone who is turning toward Christ, it is such a joyous time that we have together. We celebrate the good news, that the family's growing, <laughs> that, that we're maturing in the faith and there are new people being at it just because of the love for Jesus. Paul goes on and said, constantly mentioning you in my prayers. It's, it's, it's unceasing. It's not just on Sunday mornings or in prayer meeting that we pray for each other. It's ongoing we pray for each other. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Do you get the point? It, 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 it requires us to just keep one another in mind as we are family. And we're all covered by Christ. So, this church that Paul loved so much, this church that has been so powerful in being a testimony for Christ, this church that had embedded in it some of the most powerful leaders of the early church. We come to this text in Revelation 2, 1-5, through 5, which we read earlier. And I'm going to read it again because we want to unravel this real quick. Revelation 2, 1-5. through 5, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who have called themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the work that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is the church that Paul loved. This is the church that Jesus loved. This is a love letter from Jesus to a church among all churches that He loves. These words of Christ are recorded by the Apostle John, are both commending as well as condemning. The church was commended for its good works. Their stance against false teachers, the defenders of the truth. But they had lost something. They had lost their first love. You have abandoned the love you had first, Jesus said. William Barclay, as he works on this text, helps us understand maybe what is meant by that. You have abandoned the love you had at first. He said it could mean one of two things, and I think in some ways it may even mean both. But he says it can mean that the first enthusiasm that this church had is gone. It, it, it was the passion and, and energy that just caused them to go forward. And they were just all pumped up and, and ready to serve. And what was energy and passion early on in the life of the church began to wane. The warning here is that the work of the church will not be fueled by our passions or our feelings or our emotions. It is for Christ alone and by Christ alone that the church exists. It's not what we do or how we feel about it. It's what we do through Christ or what Christ, better yet, does through us. We, it, it, we, we yield ourselves to him to allow him to do the work that needs to be done. The second reason that Barclay suggests that this love may have been lost, it could mean that the reason for the good works has been forgotten. Oh, how many churches today do good works? How many organizations do good works? How many civics clubs do good works? How many of us do good works? (laughs) But if we have forgotten the reason behind or the cause for this Desire to do good works, then possibly we have forgotten our first love. It is all about Christ. If it is not about Christ, then we have surrendered to a duty. We have found our place uh, as an officer of a club, <laughs> we have found our place as a volunteer for a great civical, uh, civic work. The church is more than just a collection of people who want to do good. The church is a gathering of God's people to do the work of Christ for the sake of the gospel. Barclay continues, he says, in Ephesus something had gone wrong. The earnest toil was there. The gallant endurance was there. The unimpeachable orthodoxy was there. But the love was gone. So the risen Christ makes his appeal and in this passage, he, he really suggests three things that we need to do. If we we're at that place where somehow we have lost the, not the enthusiasm, not the purpose, but the person, Jesus Christ. it suggested that first we remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Memory sometimes helps us to go back and to, to, to revisit where we were when we were doing a great work, not for the church, but for Christ. Look back and see what, what has been lost. One of the greatest examples of this is the prodigal son. You know the story. The young man who doesn't ask his dad, but basically says, Dad, give me. <laughs> give me what's mine, what's in, what I'm titled to. What's going to be promised to me someday? And then he goes and squandered it all. And he comes to this point in his life when he says, and he came to his senses. In other words, he remembered. He came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. He remembered where he was and he is recognizing where he is and giving thought to where he should be. And that's what we need to do as a church. We need to remember where we were when we were birthed as a church, when we were engaged in the work of Christ for the sake of the church, and take take some type of appraisal or an evaluation of where we are now. Are we where we need to be, or should we be somewhere else which would be closer to Christ and him being the center of our work? The second step is to repent. That, that prodigal son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's a confession, there's a repentance. And when we repent, it's because we have remembered. <laughs> I regret where I'm at now, and I wish I could be where I was. And in order to do that, I have to repent or turn and find again that place where I am supposed to be. Turning back, being the place where we are, where we are intended to be as a church, the church, the body of Christ called to repent in order to reclaim what was lost, and then to be found again in Christ. And finally, third, it's a response. How are we going to respond? The prodigal says, I will set out and go back to my Father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven and, and uh, against heaven and against you. And and The words of Christ to the church in Ephesus are quite simple and quite direct. He says, do the works that you did at first. Do it as you did it for me when it all began, when you first became a believer, when you first became a church, when you first became a body, a fellowship, a family in Christ. If you read through the letters that are written to the churches, you will find a number of references to where, again, there's that commendation of what you did and continue to do, what you did this, continue to do. Thessalonians has a couple of them where it talks about loving one another and just as you are loving one another, continue to do so even more. And that's what we have to reflect on. What did we do for the cause of Christ? Remember what we did for the cause of Christ and do it more and more and more. It brings us to this place. It really takes us back to the church in Ephesus, a time when Paul's heart was just in love and at the same time aching for the church. And he writes these words in, the, uh, in his letter to Ephesus. And I want to just finish this morning by using Paul's words as maybe instructions for us as to where we are to be as we remember and as we possibly need to repent and as we then respond to what Christ might be saying to us as his church. If you want to follow along, I think, again, it will be projected, but it's Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And I just want to read these words and let them sink in because that, if, if, you don't hear anything else, if you didn't hear anything else this morning, hear these words because these are priceless when it comes to instructions for the church. And this is, again, Paul, I guess, heartfelt feeling toward the church he loves. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which, you, which has, he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age but also in the one to come. And God placed it. and God placed all things, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's all about the body of Christ Jesus. Everything we do is for his sake. If we do it for any other reason, it's out of either self-service or duty to others. It is only for Christ and Christ alone. If we take our eyes off Christ, all that is important will be forfeited. Only as we love Christ will this church or any church be blessed by him. Let's pray. Father, if I could, I would pray for this church, the very words that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Oh, oh, grant us the ability to see you better. Grant us the ability to serve in such a way that Christ is seen by those around us. Grant us the ability to love you more as you love the church. May we go from this place, not as a people who assembled for an hour or two and then return to a routine That is absence of any sense of your presence. But a people who really believe they have been in the presence of the living God and want to go from this place to represent the one who loves all of us to the point of death and to the culmination of the resurrection and to the fulfillment of your prophecies of a coming again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.